And now, Geico Saving Stories. Russell Burton closed his laptop, having just switched his car insurance to Geico. He didn't think much of it until... Savings were everywhere. My pockets, uh, wallet, bank accounts. It was like the savings were following me. Following, indeed. All because of an innocent 15 minutes on Geico.com. I feel like I'm never alone. Geico. Spend 15 minutes and 15% or more in savings could be following you. K-I-R-P Radio! For real truth, real talk radio, make sure you log on to KIRPRadioShow.com. Sunday nights live, 8 p.m. with your host, Rocco P. 
It is Sunday night, September 25th, 2016. This is Last Sunday Nights with your host, Rocco P., your guest host, Rocco P. It's Rocco Pisertia. I do thank Pudgy Miller for the opportunity to share his platform once a month. I deeply appreciate that. Both Pudgy and I live in North Carolina in somewhat different parts of the state. And if you have not heard, uh, there were some very bad things that have happened in Charlotte uh, this past week. And I want to talk about I want to talk about the shooting. I want to talk about what ensued after the shooting. I think what happened after the shooting, the response to it, is really more important not to make light of one man's death, but like anything else, there's context. There's context. There's context to it. And if you followed any of this story through the corporate media, uh, even through the so-called alternative media, or what I like to call new media, uh, there's a lot of angles to discuss. We could talk about what they want us to talk about, who are they. I think the powers that be want us to endlessly debate what actually happened uh, with the death of, of this one individual uh, with the death of Keith Scott. They want us to debate that, I think, ad nauseum, just <laughs> forever. Uh, again, not to make light of Keith Scott's death. But as I just said, there's a context to everything. So we, we'll, we'll, we will talk about what happened. In this case, I think it's far more important to talk about what happened after he died, uh, who was responsible for what happened after he died, and what is that agenda? What uh, What is the big picture, so to speak? First, I'd like to p- play a brief clip from Ram Emanuel. His nickname was Ram the Bull Emanuel. Who was Ram Emanuel? Ram Emanuel was a uh, an elite Goldman Sachs banker. When I talk about when we talk about Goldman Sachs, uh, this is the power structure, this is the financial structure. You, talk, you could say there's different layers of power behind the visible politicians we see. The politicians we see are by and large uh, controlled by the financial interest. And we could go above the financial interest on the show before I've talked about uh, the Bilderberg Group. We talked about the people above the financial interest. But to keep the discussion simple for, uh, for our purposes tonight, Ron the Bull Emanuel, a war for Goldman Sachs, made over $20-odd million a year. He made this statement. He was formerly uh, uh, Barack Hussein Obama, a.k.a. Barry Satoro. I like to call him Barry Satoro since uh, he grew up with his, uh, his stepfather's nickname. Really, he, was, you know, he grew up as Barry Satoro. Uh, Barry Satoro's chief of staff. And this quote is after... Uh, Barack Hussein and Obama, a.k.a. Barry Satoro, after he was elected when he was president-elect, but he'd yet to occupy the White House. Rahm Emanuel became his chief of staff. Then he had left that job, went to become mayor of one of the most corrupt cities in the nation, Chicago. But uh, here, uh, here's that clip by Rahm the Bull Emanuel. This goes back to 2000, 2008. You never want a serious crisis to go to waste. And what I mean by that, it's an opportunity to do things that you think you could not do before. 
Remember that. Remember that. Never let a good crisis go to waste. Cause, because it gives you an opportunity to do things you couldn't do before. Before. Now, what, what really happened? What were the basics? What were the basics? What occurred with this shooting, with this interaction between the police that resulted in, in, uh, in the shooting? What, what was the basic? Basically, what, what happened? Uh, a lot of things, there's a lot of talk again about, you know, did, uh, uh, did, did uh, Scott have a gun? Keith Lamont Scott, did he have a gun? Did he not have a gun? Okay. This is the basic encounter by the police. And, yes, I've seen all the videos uh, that are out there. Video came out from his wife, which was very bizarre, if you've seen that. I mean, ex- extremely bizarre. And I say that because, and again, I'm not saying the audio was put in after fact. Of course, you know, someone could do that. We, they, could aud- they could edit audio. They could edit video. But when you listen to that video by his wife, it sounds it, it, it sounds strange. It sounds as if she's she's speaking not as a wife. It sounds like she's speaking with a political agenda. It, it's very strange. I mean when when and, and none of the videos after that after that was released, then uh Charlotte Mecklenburg police released two videos. One dash cam video, which is very interesting, and one, a, uh, a uh, chest, you know, chest-like shield video. None of them, cl- where you clearly see the, uh, you, you clearly see Keith Lamont Scott getting shot, you see before and after. It's very interesting. One of them, it does appear, if you blow it up, there's an object on the ground, it looks like a gun, you can't say 100%. And the uh, the chief police of Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department even said before the videos were released, you can't see that in the videos. But he did say before and after. He had a very, I thought, was a very uh, competent and responsible press conference after he released the videos, where he said, even though you can't see the gun, you can hear what was said. And I believe it was at least eight times the police officers on site told Keith Scott to drop it, and he didn't, at least eight times. Now, again, you could say that begs the question, well, if you didn't have a gun, or, yeah, they could have planted the gun, you, you could go there. Okay, I don't, to be, yeah, to save a little time on the, on the broadcast tonight, I don't think that's what happened. Okay, I'll talk a little bit, I, I just, in this case, I don't think that happened. Now, I am not saying there are not instances where set, definitely there are certain corrupt police, police officers, in certain departments, I would, I would especially say uh, police departments in New Jersey, uh, New York City Police Department, Chicago Police Department, legendary for the corruption. I would not put that past them. In this instance, I don't think that's what happened. We'll get into that. But the point is, when you do see the videos, including the video released by his wife, where you know, she's speaking, they do, corro- they do tend to corroborate and agree with what the police said occurred. This was their detail of, of the encounter. Two officers in plain clothes were in an unmarked car, and this was this was published by the Charlotte Observer yesterday. Two officers in plain clothes were in an unmarked car waiting to serve a warrant when Scott's white SUV pulled in beside them. They saw Scott roll what they believed to be a marijuana blunt 
I would say joint, but they use the word blunt. They returned to watching for their suspect. Then Vincent, the police officer, saw Scott hold up a gun. So, and they'd said elsewhere they really weren't going to get involved. They didn't really didn't care that you know, he was rolling a joint because they had a warrant. They were basically doing what they were there to do as plainclothes officers at that point. They uh, they, they wanted to, they wanted to get the person they had the warrant for. But then, one of the officers, Vincent, saw Scott hold up a gun. They withdrew to a spot the police officers nearby and put on duty vest that said police uh, that would identify them as officers. So that obviously was a responsible thing to do, not just take out your guns and say you're police officers <laughs> when you might not be. Sometimes that's weird, that's rare, but that could happen. When they came back, Scott still had the gun. They identified themselves as police officers at the department said and told him loudly and repeatedly to drop the weapon. Scott did not comply. And I would stress that when you see all three videos, that's very clear. You hear them shouting, I don't know if it was eight times, drop it. He did not. Then a uniformed officer in a marked SUV drove up to assist, and an officer started pounding on the front passenger window. Scott then got out with the gun and backed away from the vehicle, police said, but did not drop the weapon. Officer Vincent perceived Mr. Scott's actions and movements as an imminent physical threat to himself and the other officers, police said in the statement. Officer Vincent fired his issued service weapon, striking Mr. Scott. Officers immediately rendered first aid and requested medic to respond to the scene. Police said multiple witnesses interviewed by homicide detectives. Okay, this is the police statement. Police said multiple witnesses interviewed by homicide detectives heard the police shouting at Scott to drop the gun. Scott's DNA and his fingerprints were found on a loaded handgun recovered at the scene. Scott was wearing an ankle holster, police said. So that's that's their official story. And once again, to me, I, I stress again, you can't see in any of the videos the ones that have been released that we know. The two released by the police department, the one, the one by Scott's wife, none of them, you clearly see a gun. And one of them, if you blow it up, there's an object on the ground. Could be a gun. Uh, I don't know. I believe it's Mr. Scott's wife and or others who said he had a book. Uh, to me, that stretches credulity. Uh, and I'm basically saying that to me that's unbelievable, if not nonsensical. Okay, If he had a book, they wouldn't be telling him to drop it. Okay, This is broad daylight, mind you. This isn't at night. So... It, it stretches the imagination to say, okay, well, these cops just showed up, and they just they, they were serving a warrant. They could prove all this. They're going to serve a warrant to someone else. They see Scott rolling a joint. They ignore, they ignore him, and then, for some reason, they decide they want to shoot him. And l- l- let's, say, let's say police were insane, and they wanted to do that. And I don't think that's the case, but let's say they were. Why would they tell him to drop something like eight times? Why wouldn't they just shoot him and just say, he had a gun, it was threatening me, I shoot him. So like I said, the videos, even though you don't see the gun, it's not it's not conclusive. You don't see the shooting. It does support the police officer's version. The only thing I would add that, a, that, that may be discrepancy is this. When you, see the dash, when you see the dash cam video, and I played it a couple of times, comes up you, you see you see Scott and he's standing up then 
it looks like he moves down to his ankle. And then you don't see what happens. Now, they mentioned the ankle holster, and I just throw this out. To me, it, they, it wouldn't make sense that they, they would have their guns drawn before he had a gun in his hand. I mean, that would really that would really make absolutely no sense, especially when telling him to drop it. You hear that repeatedly, drop it, drop it, drop it. But it did seem in that dash cam video he was going down for something. Don't know. Again, you, you can't you can't see everything as far as you know. The gun that was in his hand, I believe it was. You can't see the angle. Uh, but I just throw out to say, the dash cam video to me is the most interesting of what's out there now. Having having said all that, uh, this is being the media is lying to us. Uh, the media, the media, the media is lying to us uh, massively about this about this event. Why do I say that? Okay. Associated Press, September 14th. Uh, article entitled "Black Community Sees Charlotte as Glimmering Fake Oz." That's really a disgusting hit piece, and and that piece was written to really foment racial hatred and to foment class divisions, to really foment class warfare. This is how that, this is from that article published yesterday. Also, Associated Press, which the corporate media holds up as the standard of unparalleled excellence and integrity. <laughs> Quote, move outside the city's core, meaning Charlotte, and there are neighborhoods like the one where a white police officer shot and killed a black man, Keith Scott, setting off violent protest. Places where residents tire of seeing police only when teams of officers sweep in to make arrests and remember, and remember well other blacks killed by police officers who did not face punishment. That statement alone is just, it's, it, it's just so, it's so terribly biased and accurate and incendiary. Okay. First point, uh, a white police officer didn't kill, didn't shoot and kill Keith Scott. And you can say, he, you can say in the sense he didn't kill him, it wasn't murder. Uh, he was acting responsibly. It was, it was a black man. <laughs> it was, it was a black man. Who who was the officer? Who and we know this. Who who was the officer that, that, that shot Mr. Scott? Okay, the the officer the officer Scott that that shot Mr. Scott was not black again. Was not white. He was black. Uh, his name was Brentley Vinson. Okay, solo the internet, and and this was out. I mean, this was out days before that Associated Press piece. But they know. There's only a certain percentage of the people that actually pay attention. A lot of us are easily manipulated by images. Easily. Easily manipulated by images. So as they spin this narrative that, again, this is, yeah, first off, yeah, it's in this APP, AP piece again. Uh, they remember well other blacks killed by police officers who did not face punishment. Okay? Uh, like... Like, it happens all the time. I didn't pull up all the FBI stats, but you may have heard that the percentage of violent crimes committed by black men is a lot higher than others. Okay? And the number the number of blacks who have been killed by police, okay, it's lower than whites. And, of course, blacks are a small population. But when you factor in, again, the percentage of blacks that are out there, there is no, I just want to stress this, there is no 
national epidemic of of uh black men being unjustly or uh unjustly killed by police it's just it's it's, it's fantasy it's it's absolutely fantasy then the AP again lies and that AP piece lies to say that the officer didn't name him is white no Brentley Brentley Vincent is is extremely black he's a black man uh, when, when you read about this too when you read about who he was uh the guy seems like he's completely responsible now again that doesn't mean because because he has a fantastic track record, he couldn't have done something wrong. But I've already told you what I believe. The facts do seem to corroborate or agree with the police's version in this case. Uh, the guy had a gun in his hand. He's repeatedly told to drop, and he didn't. Like I said, we'll see. We'll see as this goes on. You know, the police have already gone on. Said there's other witnesses that will say that, not just police that were there. So we'll see who else comes forward. But again. The videos are there where they're saying repeatedly drop it, and he didn't. Uh, who is uh, who is Brentley Vincent? Uh, he's uh, he's been on the force two years now. He's on paid administrative leave, leave during the investigation, and uh, a friend of officer of the officer said Vincent was distraught when the two spoke about about the shooting. Uh, his father was a police officer. He followed his dad's footsteps. And uh, it says, as, as a kid, as a child, Vincent dreamed of becoming a police officer and following in his father's footsteps. His middle f- school football coach told the Charlotte Observer, I thought when he became a police officer like his dad, it was a perfect fit for him, Larry Kennedy told the newspaper. CNN briefly spoke to Vincent's father, Alex Vincent, who's now retired from the force. He asked for privacy and said no one in the family would be speaking to the media. And uh, he also said he wouldn't speak because uh, the investigation was ongoing. People who knew him on the football field are defending him. He went to Liberty University, which is an evangelical Christian school, now affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention. Started out as an independent Baptist school. uh, Played football there. His family has been, he and his family have been the same church in Charlotte, associated with the same church for 20 years. Here's another article. Officer Brentley Vincent, five five fast facts you need to know, uh, or the five facts. He is the son of one of the first black detectives on the Charlotte Police Force. He uh, he's a former, like I said, former football player for Liberty University. Police allege that Scott posed an imminent deadly threat. Obviously, if he had a gun in his hand <laughs> and he didn't drop it, uh, that that is that is a threat. And and I just like to say once again I've already qualified the fact that yes there are there are some corrupt police uh, yes they they do take liberty sometimes sometimes they overreact uh, that does happen and when that does occur <laughs> when that does occur obviously it's always uh, to always to interpret a a racial motivation again uh, will really be unfounded unless you had some facts. You get some facts behind that. It does happen, though. It does happen. I mean, there's there's no doubt. There's one case. I want to check that one article where it had happened. Uh, okay. This has happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. This piece is from this piece from uh, the 23rd. Cop who shot an unarmed man to death charged with manslaughter. 
Terrence Crutcher was shot and killed by police in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in a case that prompted the Justice Department investigation. The Tulsa, Oklahoma police officer fatally shot an unarmed black man on September 16th has been charged with first-degree manslaughter. Okay, it, happened. it was a white female officer. District Attorney Steve Kunzweiler filed the charges Thursday against Officer Betty Shelby, 42, after she was captured on video shooting Terrence Crutcher, 40. Crutcher was transported to a hospital where he later died. A warrant has been issued for Shelby's arrest. Uh, in a statement announcing the felony charge, Kunzweiler said Shelby's attorney is arranging for her surrender. Shelby said she felt threatened by Crutcher and believed she was he was on the drug PCP and had a gun. Okay, uh, Obviously, you might feel threatened in a lot of situations, whether or not you're a police officer. Uh, you might think someone's on PCP, and you might think someone have a gun, has a gun. But you can't shoot someone because you feel threatened and because you think someone might have a gun. <laughs> you just you, you can't do that. And yeah, she didn't yeah, she was held accountable again. She's been charged with manslaughter. Uh seconds before he was shot, Crutcher reportedly walked to his SUV at one point holding his hands above his head. Shelby followed him with her weapon raised. Crutcher's SUV had broken down in the middle of the road. Police arrived on the scene to check the vehicle. As they approached the vehicle, black male started toward them. Tulsa police spokesman Gene McKenzie told KOTV6. They asked him to show his hands. He refused to follow commands given by the officer. They continued to talk to him. He continued not to listen, not to follow any commands. As they got closer to the vehicle, he reached inside the vehicle. At the time, there was a taser deployment. Then a short time later, there was a shot fired. Okay, uh, not enough. Okay, he should, yes, he should have followed the commands. But unlike the case in Charlotte, there was never any gun. Period. There's no, there's none seen there. And she was charged. She was charged with manslaughter. And I don't I don't know if anything else come out of that case. But I'm just saying, getting back to the AP article that I quoted from yesterday, black community sees Charlotte as glimmering fake Oz. Uh, this idea that police have carte blanche in the United States of America to kill people, including black people, with no repercussions is insane. So It's insane. But that's the agenda, again, intended to divide us. That's the agenda intended to divide us. But this officer, again, uh, he just, yeah, Vincent seems, he just has a very, very solid background. Uh, he uh, he evidently believes in the true God, goes to a Bible-leading church, and again, that doesn't mean he's perfect, but his he has great, in my mind, this guy has has tremendous credibility. He doesn't seem like someone, unlike you know, that female police officer who was just going to fire because he felt something, he felt threatened. No. Like again, I said, as I said before, the videos that have been released, even though it's not conclusive, they do corroborate the police's version of the story. Pastor, uh, Pastor Vincent's pastor, okay, he spoke out. That was very interesting. That, that, was, that was a piece. Uh, that was a piece from today. Churches across the country came together Sunday. The name of this was Officer Brent Lee Vincent's pastor calls for peace, understanding after Scott shooting. Very interesting. Churches across the country came together Sunday to preach messages of healing and peace, but this week's events are personal at Central Church in Charlotte. Went to their website. Certainly appears to be a Bible-believing church. Uh, 
Arthur Brentley Vincent and his family have been part of the congregation for over two decades. Pastor Lauren Livingston didn't waste time addressing Charlotte's recent turmoil. Quote, in four decades of pastoring this church, I've never had my insides so wretched, torn as I had this week, Livingston said. Vincent and his wife were not present for the service, but his parents and sister were. This awful tragedy in our city hits so close to home, Livingston said. Livingston described the man who Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department says pulled the trigger Tuesday, killing 43-year-old Keith Scott. Police said Scott was armed and refused multiple commands to drop his weapon. The officer involved who did his sworn duty is a member of our church, who grew up in our church, and you will not find a finer young man, he said. It's easy to say that, uh, but again, there's a history this history with this man that backs it up. Livingston, like so many across Charlotte, was disappointed to watch rioters hijack the demonstrations that played out on Charlotte Street's Tuesday and Wednesday night. People with legitimate concerns, with social and racial concerns, who have genuine grievances, didn't deserve to be represented by illogical and irresponsible rioters. They were not speaking for good people who want to see change. They don't represent people asking sincere questions, he said. Okay. Now, on that point, I would just interject. You may have seen the stat. After Tuesday night, after Tuesday night, the police said 70% of those arrested were from out of North Carolina. 70%. It's very similar to what happened with Ferguson in Missouri. People came in from the outside and caused violence. <laughs> Livingston also had a message for Carl. Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department Chief Kara Putney, who received intense criticism for not releasing the body and dash cam video of the incident sooner. I respect you and I appreciate that you stood by your convictions and you did not let public pressure cause you to sway and bend, he said. Livingston ended the service the call for his congregation to replace hate and anger with an understanding that only comes from above. I'm not going to let talk and assumption and accusation and prejudice and racism and anger, I'm not going to let it in here, he said. So, that's what happened. Uh, what else do we have to talk about? A lot. <laughs> we have to talk about the violence that ensued. Who is responsible for that violence? And what is the result of that? What happens? What happens? Uh, remember, remember what Rahm, the bully manual, said, never let a good crisis go to waste. We have now a classic example of what's going on in Charlotte, a problem reaction solution there was a problem now whether that problem was real and I'm not saying the shooting was staged I'm just saying was the shooting provocateered or sad to say planned again when you listen when you listen to his wife's video they could have they could have edited the audio but it is beyond bizarre because it doesn't sound like someone who's an eyewitness to seeing her husband get shot, it sounds like someone who's rehearsing a political a political script to, to, to blame the police and, and cause racial hatred and division. That's what it sounds like. But this is a classic case in Charlotte, and we're talking about this, a problem, reaction, solution. A problem occurs where, whether or not the problem is real. Uh, knowing that a reaction will ensue, the reaction was caused by the powers that be. We'll discuss that. We'll discuss those people behind the 70% that came in from out of state. So you have a problem. 
that's caused or that does occur is legitimate. You have reaction that's planned, and then the powers that be provide the solution to that reaction. Governor McCrory deployed the National Guard. Okay. In this case, I wouldn't say it was necessarily wrong, but had the mayor uh, had the mayor been more competent, perhaps, uh, they could have used state resources apart from the National Guard. I think with the state highway patrol help help perhaps from some some other some other police departments uh around around Charlotte Mecklenburg, I think they could really handle it if they were there. But no and so that, that raises the question was was the mayor incompetent or was she following the script? That uh, it may sound horrible. It may sound horrible. I'm going to read from a Breitbart piece before we take this break. Breitbart piece. Charlotte Mayor refused help from state law enforcement hours before a riot. I'll read from part of this piece. Charlotte's Democratic Mayor Jennifer Roberts decided against accepting an offer made by North Carolina's GOP Governor Matt McCrory, Pat McCrory for additional state law enforcement resources long before the situation spiraled out of control on Wednesday night, Breitbart News is loaned. Multiple sources have confirmed to Breitbart News, as well as other media, that Bre- Governor McCrory had offered Roberts state law enforcement resources that could have patrolled protected the city of Charlotte as early as 7 a.m. on Wednesday, but she didn't take the offer. Now Roberts is under fire for her decision to not call in the extra help. McCrory, too, is interesting because McCrory tried to imply he didn't have the power as governor to deploy anyone there without her asking. That's that's just not true. She nor the city nor the city council, Charlotte City Council, where she's merely the head of the Charlotte City Council as mayor. Uh now he, he could have done it beforehand too. So and all I'm about to say the question I'm about to pose is very disturbing, but we have we have to ask this question. Did the state want this to happen? In other words, did they stand down, <laughs> full well knowing the violence was going to ensue? And have they ever they just playing this game, trying to pit the Democratic mayor against the Republican governor for the blame game, when the reality is uh, Governor McCrory did not need her help. <laughs> he didn't need her permission. He didn't need the permission of the Charlotte City Council if he was going to deploy the National Guard. But think about that. Uh, we will uh, we will take a break, and we'll break this down more as far as what happened afterwards, as well as uh, what uh, not just what happened after, but long term again. We look at this incident. We look at Ferguson. Uh, how does this affect the body politic? <laughs> how, does it, how does this affect all of us long term? We're going to talk about that. How many more innocent people? How many more? How many more? What has been the number one cause of unnatural death in history? Democide, or death by government, has killed 290 million people on record. Look it up. Go look it up. In the 20th century, government murdered four times as many people as were killed in all the international and domestic wars combined. USSR, 61,911,000 people killed. Hitler's Germany nearly 21 million people killed. Japan's imperialism, nearly 6 million people killed. Western colonization, 
killed over 50 million people. Pol Pot's Cambodia, funded by the U.S. government. Two million people killed. China's Communist Party, as many as 76 million people killed between 1949 and 1987. And the list goes on and on. Demand to know why the Department of Homeland Security bought more than 1.6 billion hollow point bullets. How many more people does government have to kill? Enough. Enough. Demand an end to citizen disarmament. As an American. As an American citizen. As a patriot. For your children. Enough of the people laying down and letting government kill them in mass after disarming them as they've done throughout history over and over again. Now is the time. It's time. It's time to realize that when the government takes your guns, people die. It's time to realize the biggest threat to you and your family is government. It's time to recognize. Government is the greatest killer of all time. Demand they show you the word hunting in the Second Amendment. Demand our politicians uphold the Constitution and Bill of Rights as they swore to when they took office. It's time for our leaders to read the Constitution. It's time for our leaders to obey the Constitution. The Constitution. The Constitution. Because a well-regulated militia with 10-round magazines wouldn't last very long. So now you know the most dangerous thing to you and your family in the world is government. Because mass murderers agree, gun control works. K-I-R-P Radio! We're talking about the aftermath of a black police officer shooting a black man in Charlotte. One sued. As I mentioned, uh, one source was widely quoted in the media from the police department said 70% of those arrested were from out of state. So, how do we interpret those numbers? Is it just that people spontaneously, people had the money on their own and they just got on buses and or planes and just showed up to Charlotte? How does that happen? Or uh, is this not an organic occurrence? Is this not an organic incident? Is this something that was well-planned? Something that was well-planned uh, by people who want to cause division in our country. Well-planned by people who want to cause and foment racial hatred. Something that was well-planned by people who want to divide us. They want to divide black against white. They want to create distrust and fear. They want to create mayhem. They, if they had their way, would like to have seen Charlotte burn. We don't know. We don't know what happened between the mayor and McCrory. They, uh, she looks. She turns out to look like the bad person here. Once again, to the best of my knowledge, Governor McCrory could declare a state emergency anytime he wanted. Even short of that, I think it's quite possibly could have deployed highway patrol in Charlotte. In any case, let's look at uh, let's look at some of these numbers here. This is from a piece uh, that quoted CNN from Mediate.com, published on the 22nd. It's not exactly radical to say 
that people care about their communities, whether the community is a physical region or a group of people with something in common. When a black person is killed by the police, black citizens of the town served by the cops' precinct and their allies often protest and make sense. Large-scale demonstrations, though, tend to attract others. Sometimes the people who come from beyond the region are there because they believe in the message or mission of the protest. Other times, they see an opportunity to act up, get violent, or otherwise cause a scene. Because they aren't from the community, they aren't as likely to care about businesses or reputations as those who are protesting because they want to make their town a better place. These destructive demonstrators are called agitators, and it is widely believed that Ferguson, Missouri, had many of them when they went through an uprising against police brutality and racism in 2014. And may I say that uh, that case in Ferguson, that was justified. <laughs> that that did not, I don't know what the history was in Ferguson, all right? I'm saying the, the case that allegedly set off a uh, protest that then became uh, criminal criminal riots and looting and crim- result in criminal violence. Police were justified. CNN's Erin Burnett tweeted today that she had learned how many of those who were arrested at the protest last night in Charlotte, North Carolina, were from other states. Charlotte Police Sergeant tells me 70% of the people arrested last night had out-of-state ID. These are not protesters. These are criminals. And I'm glad... That sergeant made that distinction. Part of uh, part of the problem here is that when this occurs, uh, when this occurs with with uh, any time you see these people pop up and they're from out of state, they're from somewhere, they're from other parts, and they get violent. Uh, the media continues to harp on this issue by saying they're just protesters. Uh, not so. They're redefining, what pro- they're redefining what protest is, and this is very important because you look at you look at the First Amendment to the U.S. the Federal Constitution. We have the right to peacefully assemble. We have the right to seek, you know, you know, to address the government. It's a right. Okay, that doesn't mean you can block traffic. Obviously, there's a lawful way to demonstrate, but it's a right. When Violence, and don't forget this point, when violence is associated routinely with protest, that immediately creates the image and the impression in people's minds that all protest then is is wrong and it's wicked because protest involves you know, burning storefronts, looting, beating people, killing them. That's, that's, that's not protest, but that's what the media, that's what they're working on. That's to working on. This is a piece from Zero Hedge, and I, I say I call her. Give me about a, give me a minute or two. I'll pick I'll pick you up. Four or four area code. Thanks for calling in. Give me about a minute or two. What they aren't telling you about the Charlotte riots. Okay, this was on Zero Hedge. Zero Hedge. <laughs> yeah, the writer uses a pseudonym Tyler Durden, which is from Fight Club. If you remember that. As America waits to see if Chicago, if Charlotte will burn for the third consecutive night, Paul Joseph Watson points out. Something troubling. Thugs burned down a city because a black cop shot someone. Yet meanwhile, the mainstream media spun or at least tried tried uh, to as a peaceful protest. There's just one problem. Violent criminals looting, attacking bystanders, attacking journalists, setting fires, smashing up cars, smashing up businesses, and shooting at you. There's not a, a peaceful protest, not even a protest at all. 
Stealing and looting cash registers from local businesses, not a legitimate form of protest. A protest of shooting another protester is not a legitimate form of protest. Physically attacking reporters is not a legitimate form of protest. Throwing rocks off bridges at passing vehicles full of people is not a legitimate form of protest. Beating up innocent people in parking lots because they're white is not a legitimate form of protest. Smashing up foreign windows where black people live in favor of Black Lives Matter is not a legitimate form of protest. Trashing your own neighborhood is not a legitimate form of protest. Looting the Houston, I'm sorry, the Charlotte Hornets, Charlotte Hornets team store so you can steal basketball merchandise is not a legitimate form of protest. Attempting to hijack cars and terrify their innocent occupants is not a legitimate form of protest. What was unfolding in Charlotte was not protest. It was violent, unjustified riot by criminals and thugs. The question is, why is the media giving a legitimacy by still referring to it as protest? And I said the reason they do that is to create the image in people's minds that all protests then should be avoided. Good evening. Thank you for calling in the show. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. How you doing? Much better than I deserve. What's on your mind? Well, I, I wanted to talk to you about some of the things you're saying right now. Uh, okay. These are difficult conversations, and a lot of times we go by information that we get immediately, and I, I don't think we think it out enough. And when you start to think it out enough, uh, things start to clear up a little bit. Uh, for instance, uh, you're talking about the protest groups, and you're also talking about the people who riot. Mm-hmm. I think people have to understand that these are two different groups for one. For one, you have people who are legit part of organizations who not only know their function, but act in the same way at every place they go to in that they do the marches, they do some type of shutdown of some area, some type of civil disobedience. Like that's their plan. They have their names, they have their groups, they have all, you know, organizational structure. Then you have local people who are upset about a situation who are going to get involved in a different way. Some people who are angry, who just want to do something. Some people who just want to tear up something just because that's what they want to do. And when you mix those two together, you paint everybody with one brush, and then no matter what, you end up not talking about that and what the uh, actual issue is. So this Charlotte thing, like right now, there's a lot of bad information going around. Like people are saying, well, these are outsiders. No, there are organizations that come in from the outside and yes, they have been arrested, but those are not the ones who are being arrested for uh, uh, trespassing or burning anything or tearing up anything or breaking into anywhere. Those are locals. But if somebody presents it as if, well, the protesters are being arrested, therefore, then people assume that they're part of the carnage that's going on. So there's real, real big difference between those two groups when you discuss these things. And the fact that the media muddies the waters and some people who just don't like the protests regardless, uh, they typically run with those stories. So th- this is a very, very complicated thing, and it's always ran this way. Like, this is not nothing new. Like, you go back to the 50s, 60s, this is the same dynamic that went on with the media and explaining these things. You know, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I can't go back. I haven't researched back that far. I know there's a big difference dynamic in the civil rights movement and all that as far as what happened. You, know, you had the counter-protests that were peaceful and all. But I, I do agree with you. To me, though, I take an even more, I, I take an even more uh, critical view. When the media does this, it's, it's, not, yeah, it's not because they care about the issue. 
they want to demonize all protests because I think it's the way God created our minds. When this happened years ago, you could look up what happened. It was uh, the World Trade Organization. It was met in Seattle. This just goes back to the 90s. You know, there's some great oh, videos yeah. out there. Battle of okay. Seattle, my man. I yep. remember. Go okay. ahead. Okay. Yeah, you know where I'm going with this then. You had peaceful protesters. And what I'm saying is true. This is an urban legend. The police, undercover police provocateered violence that shut down the whole protest. And that created in people's minds that, well, if you protest, then that, that's violence. And this is the same thing to doing in Charlotte. When the media, this is an agenda, it's very, it's very wicked what they're doing. It's, it's very pernicious. When they intentionally say that people burning things, pe- people beating people up, they're protesters, they know what they're doing because they want to basically discredit the entire idea of protest, which I'm with you. I agree people have a right. Uh, they have a right to protest you know, peaceably within the confines of the law. So they know what they're doing when, when they when they say rioters and criminals, violent, and violent criminals, when they say they're protesters, they know what they're doing. They're, they're, they're intentionally conflating this idea of protest. So then when the average American, black, white, or other, who's lawful, when they hear protest, they immediately recoil and say, oh, well, that's something I don't want to be associated with that. I agree. So, so yeah, it's, it's an effective strategy. You just laid yeah. out Seattle where, yeah, there were agent provocateurs there. Yeah. There were anarchists there, and they painted everybody with the brush of those two groups. So when people know information like that, and then they see a situation where it's black people, all of a sudden they assume that everybody is rioting. Like right now, if you Google this, uh, you can look up sports riots in America from 1968 until the uh, very moment. Uh, the billions of dollars of damage that they've caused in property damage, uh, physical violence, actual deaths, shootings, uh, beatings, cars turned over, like all of the things that they've done. Uh, there's nowhere near the outrage. There's nowhere near the so-called, uh, you know, interest in those stories. And that, that gets to the fundamental difference of what we're talking about right now. This is an issue of black people saying we are being treated unfairly in this country and we are protesting against it. And you have a whole machine who is bent on, you know, spitting out propaganda on why not only is the cause not legit, but look at these people, look how violent they are. You can't deal with them. You can't talk with them. Uh, They're irrational. So when we're dealing with this, it's very important for the right and the left, uh, I mean, black and white, to talk to each other and realize, look, we're all citizens. And when we bring our grievances to the table, it's very important that we not go for the okie doke. So when the Tea Party got out, and they showed us pictures of the guys with the Nazi flags or the guy with the Obama with the bone in his nose picture. And they only showed us those people and not the people who had legit grievances about the government and the way it was run and decided they would start a movement. You see how easy it is to discredit something. Uh, the Occupy Wall Streeters who, who complained about, you know, uh, CEO pay and, you know, the bailouts and all of that. But... What do we remember from that time, for the most part? The media is showing us people in a drum circle and smoking weed. No, it's it, it's true, and it's it, it, they do that intentionally, I think, with the Tea Party. And obviously, the Tea Parties weren't organized uh, early on, but a lot of that, again, if you saw someone in Clan Alpha or something, those almost invariably, they were feds. They were provocateurs to, to do exactly what you just said, to attempt to discredit it so then people would run away from the Tea Party or then they would think before, before, you, before you would engage in any, in any detailed discussion about any issue, then the image is already created in someone's mind. Well, Tea Party, then that's racist, that's extremist. You mentioned Occupy Wall Street. That's another great example. 
when Occupy Wall Street started, you had people on the ground. I remember well, again, that this is – anyone could research this online. I wouldn't use the big search engine. I'd use uh, startpage.com or duck, duckgo.com. But you could check this out. When it started out, Occupy Wall Street was talking about the privately owned Federal Reserve Bank. <laughs> They're talking about the fact that a cartel of privately owned banks control the credit and currency of the U.S. government. They did not – the powers that be did not want that message going out. So then – yeah, you had professional protesters, you had unions, people who were paid come in, and they literally, anyone that had a sign-up about the Federal Reserve, they literally took it down. So once it became institutionalized, the powers that be took it over on the left, the professional people on that side, and they said they just they would not let that message go out because that didn't help the narrative. See, all this is about dividing us. I think you see that. It's all about dividing us because legitimate protest will unite us because it will educate people and let people see, okay, that there is a legitimate problem. How do we address it? But all this violence, all it does is all it does is divide us. I mean, you look at what happened in Ferguson. When you literally start to burn down buildings, what happens in the aftermath? Well, the people that have insurance, they, they get they get their money, and they they're not going to be committed. They don't they don't want to come back to the, yeah. The, what happens to the community? It it, it further it debases the community and creates yeah you know, creates more of a problem. But this is what they want. I mean, there's yeah. real solid oh. evidence. Solid evidence right, George Soros real, real quick, was behind this. Real, real quick, my man. Real, yeah. real quick. Yeah. I, I just Go want ahead. you to look this up tonight. Yeah. Just just put this yeah. time in tonight. I want sure. you to look up the, the two businesses in Ferguson that actually had fires and then go mm-hmm. to all the other cities, and you'll see none of these places equal up to at least four burnings. There's not this, this huge, you know, city on fire, everything's burning down narrative oh, no, no. that the news puts out there. So no. when you speak to it from that from that vantage point, they're kind of winning in a certain sense because now yeah. they've set the narrative, and that's not actually what happened. Yeah. And when I see people more concerned with whether something burned or not rather than whether somebody was killed by somebody who is an agent for the state, I, I realize how deep these problems in America are. And, I, I, yeah, I do see the divisions, but I think the divisions are now – so permanent and some people's minds are so twisted to the point to where this propaganda has worked so well that they will not recognize any any part of black struggle or situations where black people have grievances in this country and when you have that it's hard to listen to the other side when they have to deal with the same thing white kids are getting shot by the police as well but there's there's really no movement for it right now but it's coming because you know these powers are really getting out of hand more and more and when it does come, and, and then black people uh, don't show the same concern, people are going to say, well, what's wrong with you? You know what I mean? Like, we've been yep. trying to tell y'all this since the 30s. So it, 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 it's hard to look at, look at other citizens and say, you really consider me a citizen on the same standing if you're not willing to at least poke your head up when I'm being killed in the street. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of it comes down, that's an excellent point, a lot of it comes down to the fact that when, when you look at anything, any type of division, racial division is a great example. We have our rights, and some I love Ron Paul used to say this all the time, we have our rights as in, because we're individuals, not because we belong to a group. So the whole idea that, okay, well, if this happens and Black Lives Matters, I mean, is a great example of, you know, this is, you know, this is a pr- provocateur group. We know who's funding. We know the Soros money is there. Yeah, you know, this is just designed to divide people because if you get the idea, well, yeah, it's it's black lives that matter. It's not all lives matter. <laughs> all lives matter. So, and one yeah, thing hold, is, hold, 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 hold on, yeah, man. I, yeah. I, I've heard that Ron Paul point yeah. a lot of times. Look, mm-hmm. 
that that whole individual thing and other groups not being agreed, like you'd have to go through American history to understand where we're at right now. And then on top of that, to even say that, uh, you know, there, there's really no separation. We're all citizens. Uh, any group that looks for special privilege. No, there's not special privileges. People are getting special punishment. And if people aren't willing to look at that for what it is, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. It, it, you take it back to early America when the Irish, Italian, you know, and all these other people first came over. They were the ones who were, who were being singled out as groups and being attacked. But at a certain point, they decided whiteness was a new thing, and they included them within it. And then they were included within the group. But to say that, you know, these things don't exist, it's, it's, it's just a, a retelling no, no. of American history. Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm, not saying, I mean, I'm not saying it's clear from my position. I'm not saying there's not racism. I'm not saying there's not racial discrimination at this level. I'm, I'm, this is what I'm saying precisely. The biggest problems that the black community faces, in those, if you want to look at it in terms of subgroup, the so-called black community, how are you, how are you defined in terms of you know, people of color, the biggest problem is not racism. Okay, you look at black at black violence. I'm sure you know, sir. That's sir, off the sir, charts. Sir, sir, hold on. Right? Before we get to a to a place to where we're having a conversation where we're talking at each other, let's just yeah. say I'm a little more qualified to talk about black history in America than you are, and the problems of black America than you are. Not because I'm black, but because I've studied them, because I know what? them. And anybody that tells me that black people's biggest problem is black on black crime really doesn't understand the topic or the well, issue. Well, well, like, I'm I mean, not saying that to insult you. Right. I'm saying no, no, that to be no, no, honest no. because I'm no, not no, a PC no. guy. I'm I, not I, a PC I, guy. I welcome, you know I welcome a dialogue, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying here, here's some stats. I mean, I don't know if Pudgy's going to call in, but here's some stats. Okay, oh, since, since the Civil Rights Movement, okay, right now black illegitimacy is over 70%, so it's gone up catastrophically after the Civil Rights Movement. Do you blame that on racism? No, I blame that on economics. That's a simple economic function. The divorce rate in America across the board right now is at 55%. Okay. The highest rising single parenthood right now is white females. Right. So the idea that black people would be, uh, you know, not, not subject to the same things that the other Americans are subject to uh, kind of shows that as a canard. So, so go to, go to, go to put, it, put it in this perspective. If you go to white poor areas where manufacturing jobs disappeared, what are you going to see? Single parenthood, uh, a whole lot of drug addiction, a whole lot of people in a high unemployment rate. Same things you see in black cities. So when we talk about economic functions and we try to code those by race and say, well, this is because of that race. No, it's because of the standing that they're in. Uh, generational what? poverty is just as difficult to get out of the trailer park as it is the ghetto. No, but, it's got, but if you've seen the stats, I mean, it's gotten worse. It's gotten worse for all of America, but especially the black community's taken hit. I, I like the fact you mentioned as far as, you know, is you touched on the marriage thing, okay? When aid to families with dependent children, which was, you know, we've popularly called it welfare, when that passed in the 60s, they debated it in Congress. You could check this out. And people then, then Senator Ted Kennedy, you know, he was all for it. And people told him, what are you going to do if you pass this legislation? And, of course, it's not constitutional. There's nothing in the Constitution about that. I mean, it's just it shouldn't be there. But in any case, people said at the time in the 60s, if you pass this, what, it's going to give an incentive for people, for, for girls to have children out of wedlock. And they said, you're insane. Now we know the social scientific data. We know what's happened, and they still don't get rid of it. So I'm just saying, you see what the government does. The government, no, 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 no. The this, government this, causes this is, this these is problems. Another, this is another one. This is another one that's really so badly 
Are you talking about the Monaghan report and, the, and the, the work he did on this, where he said welfare would actually be a detriment to the country and would ruin people's uh, drive to get things done? The reality of that is we were actually hemorrhaging jobs at the time, and uh, we came into a new economy where one single parent uh, wasn't enough as far as them working. You needed two people to actually hold down the household to have the money. Trouble was the jobs weren't available. So what do you have? Poorest people always have the most children. That, that's a fact in American no. history. You can look that up. Uh, right. People of, of, of higher wealth typically have one child or no children. Uh, people of lower strata, why? Because they can't entertain themselves yeah. in the same way. Uh, they can't function in the same way. So sex is going to be their biggest form of entertainment. And you go through every demographic, white, black, Latino, whatever you want to, and you'll find the poorest people have the most children. No. Now, the no. idea that welfare pushed them there is, is, is looking at the economics in the wrong way. We lost jobs because we decided we weren't going to manufacture. We were going to become a finance country. And since we haven't replaced those jobs, we got a lot of people who can't get by uh, day-to-day living. So welfare has kind of been the thing to kind of fill the gap in the, the, the unemployment rates of America. And, and look, I, I'll tell you something else. If you try to get rid of welfare, you know who would be your biggest obstacle to getting rid of it? Tyson Foods. Grocery store yeah. chains, Publix, Kroger's, yeah. all these different places who get a guaranteed allotment of money every month when they know uh, people will have that money to come in there and buy things. Yeah. So it, it's well, also a part of the economy. So it, it's, right. it's a huge, no, no, it's a huge mistake to look at it as a want, want to type of thing. Well, we, we, don't, we, don't have, we don't have two parties. We have one party. And the rhetoric is different, but the policy is the same. That's why things continue to degenerate. But the, the point I want to, the, the point that I am, I'm parking on oh, about welfare is this. This is what I'm pointing on. Is that when you, when you basically created aid to families with dependent children, it did create an incentive for girls to have children out of wedlock. It helped basically harm the family. They know that, and they still don't get rid of it. That's my point. Uh, yeah, and, but that, that, that's what I'm saying. That point has been debunked multiple times. Huh? Go to University nah, of Maryland. They have really nah. good social science on it. Uh, like I said, this, this has been an old wives' tale. And I'll give you, I'll give you nah. this for an example. The people you're talking about who are, you know, don't have integrity, don't have character, mm. who look to game the system, what percentage would you guess? Just give me a guesstimate. What percentage would you guesstimate uh, of welfare that is? Uh, I, 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 don't, I really don't know, but I'm just saying the, the, the illegitimacy. Yeah, yeah we, you we see what I mean? We can't deny the fact the illegitimacy has gone up tremendously since that program. We, we can't deny it. No, it has nothing to do with the program. We're talking about divorce rates in America, rising divorce rates. No, I'm not talking about divorce. You're getting back to divorce. I'm talking about illegitimate births. Over 70% of black children born now uh, are born illegitimate. It's getting worse every year. Look, man, look, man, you could try to look at this through a black lens if you want to. I'm telling you, pull up the whole country and look at poverty and look at people who get married under poverty. And for the most part, you're going to see people who are living check-to-check check are not getting married for the most part. It has nothing to do with any demographic. I, I think I think the government policy, I mean, I I have to respectfully disagree. I think the government okay, policy well, made well, it worse. We disagree on this, but I, I'll tell you this. Your fix is get rid of welfare, and it will get people's drive back. My fix is you bring manufacturing back. You actually bring employment to this country. There was a time where you could work without a college degree, uh, by your sweat, you can still afford to have a family, uh, you know, house, car, the whole, the whole nine. Uh, that kind of disappeared, the physical labor of, you know, just, just being willing to work. That's disappeared, and now people are barely getting by 
and that causes huge problems within the family. We're looking at an economic problem and trying to treat it as a social problem. That's why I, it's so I, difficult. No, no. I, I, I think they're both. I mean, I agree with you 100% about manufacturing. Uh, you know, two pieces of legislation you know, really good this country, the manufacturing base of this country, the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade and NAFTA, yes, sir. the North American yes, Free sir. Trade Agreement. I mean, they lied. I mean, Ross Perot, regardless of what you think about him, that's great. If you go back to see if you remember that debate with Al Gore, he says, you're going to hear you're going to hear the jobs, the sucking sound of jobs leaving the uh, country. A great <laughs> sucking sound of jobs leaving the country. Yeah, you can pull, matter of no. fact, you can pull up that debate on YouTube right now, him and Al Gore, and whenever he's hitting Al Gore in the stomach, uh, with great points, Al Gore starts to laugh and make faces to make people think I'm debating a non-serious person, when in reality Ross Perot was calling it out from day one, because you're basically making it a race to the bottom in globalization and saying we're going to look for the cheapest wages wherever we can across the globe, and we want you to compete with those cheaper wages. <laughs> you know, good luck to any population <laughs> with that. Well, I appreciate you calling in. Uh... If you want to hang on, what I'd say, this, this, is, this is where I was going with the program. When we see this violence and this ensues, who stands to gain? It doesn't help the white community. It doesn't help the black community. The one institution that gains power through this violence is the state. Well, I, and, I, would, I, would, I would simply say this. White citizens have to be more astute and, more, and, and think more towards uh, the community as a whole. And I mean the country as a whole as citizens and say, if the weakest portion of the citizenry is being beat up and attacked, uh, the next portion will be me. So even if you're thinking from, a, from selfish interest of you don't want your children to be beat up and abused by police, uh, you need to speak up for other people when they're being attacked by the police because that is the arm of the no. state. And if the arm of the state can run freely through one community, it will come through another one. So that, that's my No, no, I, 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 I couldn't agree with you more strongly. If you caught the beginning of the show, uh, I basically said I called out the AP – because Associated Press ran an article saying that a white police officer shot Keith Scott and was a black police officer. So they want to foment the racial division that isn't there. Well, I don't think they want to foment racial division. They want clicks. So if they put white in there, that's delicious. People will click on that and read, oh, man, a white guy did this. When in reality, a policeman, black, white, or whatever, they have the same authority to abuse people and can become just as corrupt as any. There's no 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 threshold that makes a black cop good because he's black. There's no, no, many no, black of cops not. who are who are just no, as horrible no. as any other. No, so, no, no and, I know and, you're and, not saying. I, agree. I know you're yeah. not saying that. I'm just making the point. Yeah, I know you're not saying. I'm just making that want, point. They want so to push this. They want to push it because if they could convince the people, if they could basically convince, if they convince black and white, to like okay, well, from the black angle, correct me if I'm wrong. If they convince people in the black community that, you know, police are dangerous and, you know, they're out to get them, then, yeah, that creates distrust and problems. If they create... See, see, if they create that's, the, that's, see, see the, and that's where the gap widens, though. It's not... The media doesn't have to convince black people that the police are dangerous. We know it. We've lived it. We experience it. It's not just the shooting. It's the daily harassment. It's the being pushed around. It's the somebody yeah. escalating a, a small yeah. situation in a conversation. It's how police treat black people. We don't need to be taught this by the media. We live it. Right. And we're trying to tell y'all that, yeah. but y'all don't want to believe it. So, I mean, what I, can I we do with that? Like I said, if you caught the beginning of the show, this, this is my take, okay? I mean, I'm a libertarian, I'm meaning I, I'm a libertarian. I, I generally I hold to non-aggressive principle, meaning that government should not exert force unless it's really force is only required 
when you know, someone's person or, or you know, their possessions are at risk, particularly their person. So to me, the way I've, I don't think there's a huge problem with police in the country. I think it's localized. I think it's bad in cities like New York. Uh, I think it's bad in cities like Chicago. It's bad, especially in cities where the people are disarmed, because it gets back to what you said beforehand. If the police could pray, and again, I don't think it's a massive problem. I think it's localized. But if the police can go after one community, obviously they go after anyone. And this is what you see in New York, largely New Jersey and Chicago. The people are disarmed, so the police really have no fear of the people. <laughs> they have no yeah, man. I, I look, I understand what you're yeah. saying, but this ain't no local thing. Uh, this is a national thing. goes on in every community, especially I, I black just don't, and, and the I, way just, that, I know you don't believe it, but yeah, that's I, fine. I don't, you don't have to believe it. Yeah. If you look more into yeah. it, I promise you, you know it. Yeah. I'm well, saying like you I don't said, believe it. Yeah. I, I think, like I said, that there's some there's some problems, but to focus on the police creates creates more hostility when who employs the police? The politicians, yeah, that that's where that's where this all comes down to. Well, that that's when it gets even deeper because then you're talking about white communities who put these people in office and put these people on the police force and decide that's how they want them to police. So then the police are in an area aggressively uh, messing people up and trying to raise fines and tickets because they're into fundraising and they're at the directive of the commissioner, the mayor, the city council, and everybody else. And for the most part. Those aren't black people, and it's hard to have that conversation with most white people because they feel insulted when it's like, look, dude, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about those people over there, not you personally. And most working-class white people have nothing to do with that dynamic. That's, for the most part, these people who are in the realm of power and close to the realm of power. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a big issue, but I, I think, again, you, if you know about Soros, you know, they uh, – there is an agenda. Yeah, well, I, I can tell you a lot more about Soros than what these rumors are. Uh, Soros did not start Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter, like every other protest group, uh, added, asked for a grant, applied for a grant. They got their grant from him. They got a grant from the Ford Foundation and a few other of those foundations. These foundations don't care about who they give money to. It's a tax write-off for them. Uh, you fill out your grant, you kind of pray and hope you get it. Black Lives Matter was able to get, for the most part, from what I can tell, over 500000 from them. I'm hearing numbers like $100 million, people are saying. They don't give $100 million to small organizational groups. So, yeah, they have a little money from Soros, and Soros is not a socialist or Marxist. He's a currency, uh, he's a currency trade uh, demon, you might as well say. He shorted the British pound years ago and damn near wrecked their economy. Uh, he is a vicious, vicious Wall Street guy. If you look, I mean, it goes beyond that because I mean, he banked, he banked uh, the U.S.-backed revolution in the Ukraine, and yeah, he he probably know he's next Nazi himself, Nazi collaborator himself. But uh, here's one piece. Here's one piece you can look up. Uh, Charlotte Ryder's what's what's the name of it? Uh, it's on Planet Free Will. So if you go to planetfreewill.com and look and Google Soros, it'll come there. Okay, this mentions that. Uh, DC Leaks published Open Society Foundation, Soros' foundation, showed that Soros groups had given at least $650,000 directly to Black Lives Matter. The same documents reveal the reason for Open Society Foundation black ruling Black Lives Matter. The dismantling of America so that, it can be re- so that it can be recast according to the vision of Soros and his leftist cohorts. This is an attempt by Soros to further divide the American people on racial lines 
and create an environment of distrust between law enforcement and the public. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that's yeah, that, that's the problem with opinion, though. You can't go with opinion. Go to the actual document. You can go to Open Society right now and fill out one for yourself because you're in media because they also have a grant for media. You could say, look, I'm doing yes. a, a public service for the media. Let me grant writer or fill yeah. it out myself and see if I can get the money. But I don't, it I don't think it's as if he likes yeah. or cares about black people or – if you think he wants Black Lives Matter to be in the streets, cause stopping traffic and things like that, no, nah, he's he's a typical liberal who wants to sit down and negotiate and talk to black people, but not in the form of something that's going to interrupt what yeah. the system is. That's that's well, not think, what kind of guy he is. He's an oligarch. I, I think right? he, he's a globalist that goes beyond left right. There's another article I'd point you to. This is on the Daily Haymaker. That's a guy. Uh, who runs a site in in North Carolina? Yeah, I Daily didn't get introduced to Soros this year. I've been reading about Soros for years, man. So that's that's why when I hear people say some of these things about him, I'm like, dude, y'all don't know how vicious this dude is. But it's not from the standpoint some of these people are thinking. Like, look, like I said, just look up uh, currency manipulation, George Soros. No. That'll give you the best background for who that no, guy he's, is. He's, he's a horrible, he's, he's a horrible he's person. He's into a lot, but but I mean, I mean, but, seriously. But I mean, hold, he, hold on. He, can I just add this one point? I know you got to cut sure. you off for a minute, but this is one point. A lot of people have this trope to where when black people start moving in any direction, they look for some white man to say the white man thought it up and is directing them. Back in the civil rights movement, they blame communists. Oh, you know, the communists are directing them. Communists are telling them what to do. Like they've always done this. So when I hear this Soros thing, my ears peak up because I think at a certain point that's what people are getting at, that black people can't come to these conclusions for themselves and we need some white man to tell us that things are bad and we should be upset. Not at all. Yeah. Well, my, I'm, my, my point is a little bit different. I'm just saying is that it's problem, reaction, solution. That that's, yeah, that's the Hegelian dialectic that, you know, the powers that be, they create a problem knowing what the reaction will be, and then they provide the solution. The solution to all this is always more police power, not less. I mean, it's not coincident. It's not coincidental. The McCrory calls in the National Guard. You, you have Trump. I mean, I'm, I'm not a Trump supporter. Trump made the amazing statement, uh, I believe, last week sometime, where he said, you know, what was his response to how how would you deal with problems, you know, high crime areas? And he says, well, stop and frisk worked well in New York City. Yeah, I, I think it could work on the whole nation. So, yeah, here you have yeah. you have a situation where you just shred the Constitution. New York City, police could walk up to anyone, anytime, anywhere, and just say, let me see what's in your briefcase, let me see what's in your pocketbook, and Trump thinks that would be a good idea. But check out this article. Email hack indicates the round rev, a paid tool of George Soros. That's on the dailyhaymaker.com. The Reverend William Barber is part of the NAACP. Uh, he's a leader in North Carolina. And again, yeah, he's he's profited from some of the money. But I appreciate appreciate the call. I'm gonna play one video. I'm gonna play one video. I think you'll like it uh, on the way out tonight. This was from some uh, black community leaders in Charlotte, and they were basically talking about the fact how they were going to make sure they were going to take over the protest again and disassociate themselves from those those who are around. But you're you're a great caller. Thank you so much. All right, man. Take care. Here with Infowars.com. Now we're in Uptown Charlotte. It's day four of the protests that have been going on uh, because of the officer involved shooting. And I'm here with, uh, what's your name, sir? Myron Barnes. And this is? David Barnes. So why are you out here today, sir? What are you trying to do? Uh, what's your purpose out here? What kind of message are you trying to get across to the world? Okay, my purpose has been out here is that the last couple of days we wanted to make sure that we were able to funnel 
and channel that energy into a peaceful protest. Uh, we seen what happened on Wednesday, and we took we took this our fault as leaders of not being out here to help channel that energy. So we made a vow to ourselves we're going to be out here from day one, uh, from now on, to make sure that we can funnel that into a positive direction. And the results have been great. And what do you do? Uh, well, well, out here all we do is we really diffuse where, where, where we see there's excitement and things like that. We really try to diffuse that right away. Uh, last night we stood between the police and the protesters just so that we can be able to be that barrier. And the police allowed us to do that, and they backed up and allowed us to, to handle everything, and that, that, that ended up being a great success. Now, are you a pastor, I'm assuming? No, I'm an elder of the Church of the Temple of Refuge on the east side of Charlotte, uh, right here in Charlotte. So uh, I do do a lot of teaching, but my message is always that uh, I love the protest. This is good. This is good. But after that, what happens after that? After that, we need to make sure that we create a great dialogue. Get involved with your local congressman, your local council person, your chamber of commerce. Make sure you vote. Make sure you do what you need to do to make sure you create change. Be a part of the process, and then you really affect change. So what kind of steps are going to be taken after this, like you said? Is there really going to be some meetings, really sit down, try to work with police, try to find out what's going on? Well, there's meetings going on right now. Uh, I mean, uh, every day there's meetings. Uh, we, we had a meeting on Wednesday, which is why uh, we were not out here. We were trying to strategize and figure out what we can do to create change. It's a, it's a shame when, when we have underdeveloped areas uh, in, in Charlotte that are not being uh, uh, put in the right air, uh, put in the right focus, and that's what we're trying to do here today. I've gotten, I've heard, you know, rumors that a lot of the people that were involved in the riots on Wednesday were not even from the state. Absolutely. And what have you got, what have you heard about that so far? Well, 70 percent of the people that got arrested on that day were out of town. So understand that we we understand there are some agitators that have been uh, put in the mix. But that doesn't represent who Charlotte is. We are the Queen City, and we do do things decent and in order. Uh, yes, there are going to be a few hiccups because we're not all perfect, and none of us are perfect, but there are some agitators in here, and don't believe everything you see. And what do you think about the fact that Hillary Clinton came out today, contacted the mayor, and said she wants to come out here Sunday? Do you think that's a smart move, or do you think that's not really in good taste right now at this point in time? Well, I, and, and an update on that, the mayor did say that she didn't want her to come out here. I don't think this should be politicized at all. I mean, anytime we're doing Anytime we politicize stuff, we devalue it. So we got to stop politicizing stuff. Uh, let's really try to do effective change. Effective change is when you're doing it behind the scenes. When you're doing it for public show, that really doesn't help at all. All right, well, thank you for your time, sir. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Good now luck, you got though. a big crowd around here. <laughs> so you heard one man in the street there, a leader in Charlotte, part of church, realizing that admitting people had come in from the outside that 70 percent of the people had gotten arrested always look at the big picture when something being spun and understand what happens what happens when violence occurs when violence occurs the white community does not advance when violence occurs the black community does not advance when violence occurs no one is really helped what happens the state gets more power the state gets more power and that's what it's about. Understand what they try and do. They want to divide us along racial lines. They want to divide us along, <laughs> along social class lines. They want to divide us any way they possibly can. Another great way is men versus women. And the whole, the whole abominable, I mean demonic, transgender agenda. That's just saying there's not two sexes. Completely false. They'll divide us any way they can. And the, the result is chaos and then the state will provide the solution order out of chaos by taking more of our liberties away. Understand what the game plan is. 
Thank you, Pudgy Miller, for another opportunity to host the KIRP radio show. Have a good evening. KIRP radio!